Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. You know what they didn't have in 1998? What's that? Computers. That's you know what true. they did have? Vampires. That's correct. They were fucking everywhere. There was a lot of vampires in 1998. Crawling in the walls, buried in the ground. Yeah. Falling out of the sky. Living in like shacks in New Mexico. Manufactured in droves, bulk produced by the Catholic Church. Oof. Look it up. <laughs> Do your own I, research. <laughs> I actually have something I wrote down. So, hey guys, welcome to the Trash Heap Podcast and the podcast where we're out to prove once and for all there are no garbage movies, only garbage opinions. I am Elliot Greenman, joined as always by Keith Vance. Yeah, we're back giving these discarded gems a second chance. So the movie we're doing today is uh, 1998's John Carpenter's Vampires. And when you when you said manufa- vampires manufactured by the Catholic Church, one of my first notes is the movie that proves that the Catholic Church, Church's biggest cover-up isn't pedophiles, it's vampires. Yeah, their biggest oopsie. Creating the act- first vampire in a botched mistake. exorcism. <laughs> By mistake. Whoops. Yeah, they dropped the cross or, you know, a guy got a bloody nose during a baptism or something. That shit. literally is the description is something that's like, well, they, they held the cross upside down by mistake and all of a sudden, whammo, it just, vampires. It just slipped out of his hand. <laughs> I uh, think that's pretty cool, though. There's This movie has a lot of fun lore like that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's like the idea of just like, wow, we accidentally made a vampire. Like, And now he's the worst and most powerful of all. Yeah. Dang, who could have seen that coming? I I do like that quite a bit. Um, There's a lot of really fun ideas and things kicking around in this movie, you know, despite it being kind of a schlock fest. Uh, But it's a really fun schlock fest. I love these descriptions, too, like, John Carpenter's Vampires is a 1998 American neo-Western action horror film directed and scored by John Carpenter. I mean, I mean it is, but, that's like... That pretty much sums it up pretty pretty concisely and to the, you know, accurately. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's actually a little bit more than a neo-Western. Uh, did you have noir in there? Was that something you said? No. Because it's, kind of like it's kind of like a film noir in a lot of ways as well. Uh, and it's just about like working stiff vampire hunters, you know, which I think we've seen a little bit more of since this movie it was kind of an, a novel idea when it when it came out. Yeah, I guess the, the closest analog and it's pretty damn close would be uh, Day Shift. This is 100 percent the biggest influence on Day Shift. Yeah, Day Shift is literally like, huh, how can we like let's reskin this for just like yeah. a modern. Yeah, working stiff vampire hunters and then. Trained and funded by the Catholic Church. Trained and funded by the Catholic Church. In, in Day Shift, it's the Union. You know, they have this big vampire hunting union. Yeah. Uh, Dave Franco is, in the, is essentially the, the sidekick priest character that's in the, this movie. And then there's like a, a vampire with a master plan. Yeah. You know? Uh, there's always Which, a vampire with a master plan. There's always a vampire with a master plan. In, in John Copper's Vampires, it's to perform a ritual that allows him to walk in the daylight and I think in day shift it's like a real estate scheme or something, but yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same as in what Blade. Blade, yeah, right. The Deacon Frost uh, wants to he walk wants around to... in the daylight. 
They always want to walk around in the daylight. Yeah, they miss those sunrises and sunsets and what have you. Yeah. Going to the bank. Oh, man. Waiting in line at the bank. It's the no, yardstick of humanity. I mean, I would say this movie is, like, oddly influential in a lot of, you know, uh, at least in a lot of surface ways, you know? Well, it was a big reaction to the 90s horror sort of landscape, right? The The first half of the 90s was... Bram Stoker's Dracula interview with the vampire, like still mod, kind of modern takes, but still very like romantic. Right. Uh, and then Buffy the Vampire Slayer, not the movie, the show, was a big hit. Right. And when did that? When did that come out though? The show was that uh, ninety seven. Okay, so a year before this. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and there's actually quotes from John Carpenter where he's like, my vampires aren't like Buffy. They're not like hip and cool teenagers. They're like savage and ferocious. They're going to, they would tear her apart. Yeah. And so he had like a real, like, I don't know. I don't know why he had such a problem with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Someone must have showed it to him. (laughs) I don't know. Well, but I mean, like if you do, like, you, you know, if you have an oversaturation of just like these sad, sexy vampires, and you're like, wait a minute, vampires are monsters. I want to make a monster movie again, you know? Well, I mean, they were... That's the crazy part, though, is like... Uh, at first, I laughed at all these quotes, and then I thought about it, and I was like, wait a second, uh, Mr. Carpenter, you son of a bitch. Uh, your vampires... His Dracula, specifically, is not that far off. The whole, like, uh, sort of good-looking, charismatic, like, with the long black coat and, like... Everything but he's like, the first vampire. All his other little vampires are all like gross little like. Yeah, but all the all the vampires on uh, Buffy were like pretty similar. They yeah. they were more like uh, criminals. See, I've never actually seen an episode of Buffy, so oh. I, I can't I can't uh, get into that. But I would say like you know, um, I mean, I guess we probably should like get into the general plot of this movie before we talk too much more about it. But uh, I would say just on like a lot of surface areas, like these very animalistic, ferocious vampires, you know, I, I don't think you really, I can't think of anything that you've seen them qu- quite this. They're still wearing clothes and living in yeah, houses, I was gonna though. Say, like, I was going to say, you haven't really seen them quite like this, like rabid animal before, but that's not true because of Dust Till Dawn, you know. Yeah, but they're still it's, like hanging out and like doing stuff. Like That's true. They have like a day, bar. Yeah, all the all the, all the ferocious vampires have like day jobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas in this, it's like they literally live in the walls of like a abandoned shack and yeah, like none of them crawl talk. out of the dirt and yeah. But they all wear clothes and like yeah. walk around. I don't know. It's it's a pretty like negligible difference to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. I just think there are a lot of surface influences on future movies, despite this movie kind of not being a hit and getting like pretty, pretty panned and trashed upon release. So anyway, this is John Carpenter's Vampires from 1998, uh, starring James Woods and Daniel Baldwin. One of the Baldwins, Daniel. I Fred think. Flintstone. Fred. Yeah, he looks exactly like. Fred, I could Fred once I. That clicked into my brain. I could not unsee it, and I could <laughs> not take said it that, seriously. Now that you've said that, that's all I will see. Yeah, in, in, a, in the future, and it's about a group of like real ragtag, disgusting vampire hunters who work for the Catholic Church. They hunt vampires professionally. They, that's what they do. You know, they get 
They get so they they get some money wired in from Rome. They take it back. They drink a lot of booze. And yeah, get in, some in their free time, they like drinking and whoring. Uh, and then they go and kill some more vampires before uh, you know taking a, a summer break in Monterey. Uh, I always I always think that's funny that they're always talking about going back to Monterey, like this super bougie beach coastal town, and they're literally just like the grossest, scuzziest guys in the world. But there's a big church there, right? Yeah, something like that, I guess. Um, they get attacked by this really nasty, really mean vampire one night. James Wood's entire crew, except for Daniel Baldwin, gets taken out. And then they discover that he is the first vampire ever, and he is super powerful. And he's in search of this legendary black cross that when a particular ritual is performed, it will allow him to walk in the daylight and be the most unstoppable vampire ever. Yeah, pretty much invincible. Yeah, so that's the that's the gist of this of this story and the whole setup. Yeah, the black um, cross isn't really all that black. It's mostly gold. It's pretty black. It's you know it's it's a it's got a it's pretty big. It's got some black on it, but there's some gold and I think some red highlights. Too. It is cartoonishly big. It's so it's cartoonishly gaudy. Big. That's the. I mean, I wrote down a list of pros and cons about this movie, and one of the cons is like all of the props look like spirit halloween toys oh man i'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the first things i i think of when i watch this because it is like the the idea of like working class vampire killers that are you know sort of like tactical exterminators and they all have like gear like doodads and straps and elbow pads and goggles and all this bullshit and they've got flashlights glued to all their crap but like uh, the crossbow, uh, yeah. the spears with the, the big flashlights on them. Like, they all look very corny. Yeah, especially the crossbow. I think that one, like, you, I think you could get away with the other ones if the crossbow wasn't there. Because the crossbow draws your attention to how, like, you know, they, they look like just, like, 90s, like, uh, Nerf guns. You yeah, know? it's, like, way over-designed. Yeah. Like a real crossbow with just a flashlight on it would have much, looked much better. Yeah, and probably been cheaper too. Yeah, exactly. You know, because they wouldn't have had to build it. They would have just like got like a, surp- a crossbow from the army surplus store. But they have like their vehicles, like their sort of like pest control van. Yeah. And a special Jeep with a winch on it so they can drag vampires out into the sunlight. Which I think like that opening scene, like that opening vampire hunting scene and like the, the logistics of it all is really cool, you know? Where they are like exterminators and they have, and like as corny as the poles look, the idea of just kind of pinning the vampires down with the pole so you could hook them to the cable and then use the winch on the truck to drag them out into the sunlight is, yeah. is a is a very like fun idea. Yeah, know? it gives like dog catcher, like animal control kind of vibes, yeah. right? For these guys to be like elite trained, like Jack Crow raised from birth as an orphan to slay vampires. These guys make it seem like it's their fucking first week on the job. Yeah, like that one where he's just like, hey, open the door slowly. And he's like, okay, and then rips the door open, you know? Yeah, they're scared shitless like they've never seen a vampire before. I actually don't mind the scared shitless part because, like, do you ever, is that something you ever get totally used to unless you're a psychopath, you know? But they're also armed to the teeth. And like they're they're talking about all these rules they have, and he's Jack Crow gives a big speech about all the intel they have, and we're doing it by the book. And yeah, everyone is just a nervous wreck. <laughs> yeah, 
Like the uh, the working stiff aspect of it, even though I don't like Day Shift and I don't think it's a very good movie. All right. It has some fun parts, but it's just like it was. I don't fine. think it's. I mean, I I don't want to get into all that. The the working stiff aspect of it works a little bit because it's like oh there's a union and there's lots of vampire hunters across the country you know, and it's like you probably just like oh my dad was a vampire hunter so now I'm a vampire hunter I'm not very good at it though, you know, where this is like the only there's one team in America and then there's like also they reference like a European team I think yeah. Uh, but like, this is like the American team of vampires and they go across the country hunting vampires. And some of these guys are complete schmoes, you know, which is fun. And I think it's good that they get killed so fast because if you carried them out throughout the movie, you'd be like, these are the world's best vampire hunters, you know? Yeah. They don't seem very elite. No. And you could still have them be kind of gross, but elite, you know? But oh, I mean that's a pretty that's a pretty minor complaint in the overall. Uh, no, but it's a perfect movie. setup to show you like what they're all about and what the you know give you a bunch of exposition, let you know what's going on, get you up to yeah. speed. They're the ultimate work hard play play hard boys, you know. Yeah. They spend all day killing vampires, spend all night getting loaded, and and, and sleeping with hookers. Yeah. I love that Dracula. Well, I guess it's not Dracula. What is his name? Uh, Pat Sajak. Yeah, they, he just call him Dracula. He's essentially Dracula. Yeah, the, he gets out. Valak. They, Valak. Yeah. His name's Valak. He outsmarts all the vampire hunters by just hiding in the dirt. Yeah. Which I was watching a behind the scenes like effects thing. Apparently, like that scene was really tough where they come out of the dirt uh, mm. because they literally just buried people with like. Uh, respirators and then they're like Jesus Christ okay when it's time to you know get out just take your respirator off and then pop out of the dirt and a couple of people like they're like nope I'm done this isn't gonna work for me dog yeah I would not be into that just being like buried alive for X amount of hours Um, but it's a cool way to outsmart them and then they're on the case they're like the vampires are like, oh, we're gonna find these guys when they're, you know, once they go to take a piss, we're gonna, you know, cut their heads off, so that we there's nothing to stand in our way of walking in the daylight. Right. And you um, don't they they don't say this right. You just uh, uh, through the images shown to you, you put this together. Yeah. That's filmmaking, baby. Yeah, I mean, so this is like a later in John Carpenter's career after he started to like, well, you know, he famously was starting to lose his passion for filmmaking. Yeah, he was going to quit movies. And, uh, you know, this one is his second to last movie before Ghosts of Mars. And then after Ghosts of Mars, he uh, takes a very long hiatus before directing the ward like solely for money. But this one is like I don't know, like it still has a little bit of juice left in it. Like he's it's almost like he it's almost like he came in and was like, you know what, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make a good movie again. And then he's like, eh, part way through. There's an interesting the- interview with James Woods where he repeats almost verbatim, like what you would think John Carpenter was doing. Like like it's like he's repeating something from a conversation they had where he's like, he's like John Carpenter's a master of film. Uh, but he didn't get into movies to make horror pictures. He got into 
filmmaking to make westerns and this is exactly what that is in the tradition of uh howard hawks or john ford which are john carpenter's favorite director i was like wow you really uh had nailed it and you hit it on the head james woods I mean, also, I wonder, I too, like, you know, I said, like, maybe it seems like he quit a little bit way through in terms of, like, putting in that effort. But this movie is pretty low budget, you know? Well, it started uh, out with a, a huge budget. Yeah. But something that, like 50 million or something That like must that. have gotten, like, disappeared pretty quickly because... Yeah, they're like, ah, just kidding. Here's 20 million. And most because, of that went to catering for yeah. Daniel Baldwin. Probably. God, just Got him. kidding. Stop it. But they're like, you know, like... In that opening scene, or not, not the yeah the opening scene where they're doing the vampire hunting and like all the actions, there's a lot of dissolves and time cuts and stuff. It's kind of a cool stylistic, stylistic choice there. But then later on, you do see that that is to cover up that they don't have good coverage in a lot of the action scenes, and that they had to shoot them real quick and the, and not dynamically. So like that stylistic choice wasn't solely a stylistic choice, but a. Uh, uh, but a necessary one based on constraints. And that same thing happens in ghosts of Mars as well. Yeah. You the know? ghosts of Mars, especially there's, it just feels like there's a lot of stuff missing. Wait, yeah. a second, where's the rest of the movie? But it like, I would say most of the time in this movie, it does work and it's executed pretty well. Um, I think one of the biggest things holding this movie back is the cinematography is not very great. It's not a very good looking movie overall. And imagine if this movie was made like with Dean Cundy, you know, yeah. like who, who worked on all of Carpenter's early films. You're talking yeah. about how ugly this movie is. Yeah. That's crazy because the guy who shot this, Gary Brian Kibble, he shot Prince of Darkness, They mm-hmm. Live, Robocop 3, Double Dragon, Village of the Damned. These are all ugly movies. Yes, they are but all ugly movies. He also shot In the Mouth of Madness and Escape from L.A., which are arguably pretty cool-looking movies. Uh, In the Mouth of Madness, yes. I don't know if I agree with that about Escape from Escape from L.A. Separate what you know from the story and the characters and just, just picture in your mind some of the, the images. I mean, maybe the image is, and not even the bas- the the nature of the image. Not Kurt Russell playing basketball. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there might there might be some fine camera work or whatever, but the lighting is still not great. And I mean, it does doesn't help that the movie is so that movie in particular is so cheap looking. You know, and the sets are so bad that it's kind of like, how do I make this look good? Is is an issue he probably would you know faced day-to-day on set. But yeah, In the Mouth of Madness is a really good-looking movie. It's fantastic-looking. So, yeah, what happened here? It's Maybe it's not skill, but resources. Where D- Dean Cundey was someone who, like, famously could be like, I can make anything look good despite the budget, you know? Like, just understood lighting and, and mood and atmosphere so well that he could make literally any movie look like a million bucks. So that's why I was saying specifically, like, imagine if Dean Cundy shot this movie. Uh, which I wonder what happened there, you know? It's probably just a scheduling. Well, it's I mean, like, so. Something else. They, but yeah, they had worked on every movie up to a period of time, and then they just didn't work on movies together anymore, you know? 
And then Dean Kennedy did kind of stop, kind of stopped working less and less. So I wonder if he was just like kind of semi-retired or. Well, it looks like around this time. I mean, it's hard to pin down because, like, right, like a movie takes however fucking long to make, you know, two years on average. Yeah, start to finish with like. Yeah, in ninety five, he in ninety five, Apollo thirteen came out, which he had shot, mm-hmm. and then in ninety seven, Flubber, and then in ninety eight, uh, uh, Krippendorf's tribe, okay, and the Parent Trap. So I mean, he was doing stuff. Yes, yeah, moved on to some bigger productions. I guess so. It's it's hard to pin down, but I mean, he could have been in pre production on stuff, or he could have been. You know, sort of taking meetings and who knows. Yeah. Maybe he was under a studio contract, you know? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you never know. It's just always, I always just think that's interesting when, like, you have these, you know, a director and cinematographer that are, like, collaborating on literally every movie and then just stop entirely. You know, was there a falling out? Oh, he was, was the there... second unit director on Deep Rising in, in 1998. Cundy? Yeah. He was the second unit director? Second unit director. Oh, okay. He's like, maybe that was it. He was trying to break into into directing. Yeah. I don't know. This isn't the Dean Cundy speculation hour. But what if it was? (laughs) (laughs) He's shot a lot of movies. Holy crap, dude. A lot of stupid ones, too. Yeah. The Holiday. Have you ever seen that one? That's one of Francis's favorite movies. Garfield? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he shot Jurassic Park. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the Flintstones. Dude, look at this run. This absolute insane run. Roadhouse, Back to the Future Part 2, Back to the Future Part 3, Nothing But Trouble, Hook, Death Becomes Her, Jurassic Park, The Flintstones, Casper, Apollo 13, Flubber. Yeah, he was the guy for a while. Holy shit. In fact, actually, like I remember seeing an interview with him you know, saying that like Steven Spielberg asked him to do the uh, be the DP for Poltergeist, but he turned it down to do uh, Halloween two because he thought he owed uh, he thought he owed John Carpenter. You know, oh yeah, in the the Scream Factory making of Halloween two, he has a ton of interesting shit to say. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Or he's like, or maybe it was Halloween. Th- was it Halloween two or no? Three? It was Halloween it was one two. of those. It was one of those where he's like, he's like, yeah, I turned down Poltergeist to do this because I was like, oh, this is my friend. He, he helped me out and gave me, you know, gave me the thing, so I, I owed it to him, you know, which I thought was pretty cool, you know. Um. Anyway, what are your favorite parts about this movie, Keith? And then what are your least favorite parts? I like the part where the uh, the bad man bites the the yelling people. And takes the blood. That is a really good part. Yeah, yeah. that is that is my favorite as well. <laughs> I'll tell you my least favorite part is fucking James Woods. <laughs> okay, so James Woods has his character has aged really bad. First of all, whenever he takes off his jacket, and I'm afraid this is going to happen to me, he has a giant head and a tiny little body. And yeah. so he looks like a giant baby, just like walking yeah. around with a gun. It's and his, so weird. His haircut is not doing him any favors. No, and it's not necessarily that it's a bad haircut, but it's like yes, on a that that like big quaff on that big head is like wow, your head is huge. Yeah, like he didn't really work out or anything, and so like he just looks like this little baby. 
wearing a leather jacket. <laughs> uh, but beyond that, he just went so over the top with this like gritty, hard ass character mm-hmm. that he's just mostly a dick. Right. And the one piece of sympathetic information about him, the fact that his parents were killed by vampires and then the church adopted him and trained him, you know, to be a vampire killer and all that shit. It just like falls flat. And like, even his friendship with Daniel Baldwin isn't really like, it doesn't seem real. It's so flat in like one note. And like when they have like a little bit of a moment at the end, it's just like, no, it doesn't work. And he, but he spends his whole time like asking people if like violence gives them a boner. Yeah. Like, he reuses that same, like, quip, like, over and over again. James Woods is, like, famously and notoriously a piece of shit. Like, he's just, like, a bigoted, like, racist, homophobic garbage pile. I really like him as an actor, though, most of the time. Yeah, he's been in some great movies and played some Um, some good roles, specifically villains. And so his turn here as kind of an anti-hero is... I don't know that he really, like, got it. And I know right. a lot of people like him in this movie, but... Uh, well, I think it's... Here's I think the he thing. just ran too far with it. Yeah, here's the thing. So, like, his character is supposed to be, like, a scummy guy, supposed to be, you know, gruff and gross and, you know, not a good dude, quote-unquote. But, unfortunately, his it's not just that his character is a gruff guy you know, in the sense of like the character in the movie, but like what we're getting back is also that, you know, is not a good guy. Like he, he says all this homophobic shit. He says all this, like, just like really nasty, mean spirited shit. And then like, I've heard like in interviews or read that like James Woods ad libbed a lot of his lines, like a lot of like the, like the, the homophobic stuff James Woods ad libbed and threw in there, you know, it's lines in movies that would be like very common in the seventies or eighties, but even by the nineties, it was kind of like, it was, the tone was already like, Oh no, you can't really do that or say that. And it was still flying here for some reason. When it doesn't really add much to the character. And also it, it, it just further makes his whole performance like one note. There is right. no like change. There is no like growth there is no like he doesn't really go through anything he's just sort of like an angry shithead and you can have like a you know you can have a protagonist who's not a good person totally like there's tons of stories and movies where that works but here it's just like it's just too much it's so heavy-handed it's not just just it's not just that he's not a good person it's it's mean-spirited in presentation you know it's me like what we're getting back as viewers is mean spirited towards us. It's just nasty. It's yeah, not like he treats he's not all a... the other characters the exact same way he treats the vampires. Right. And so it's, it's... no, and he doesn't learn anything uh, out of, you know, any of the uh, By the end, like he, he, <laughs> here's his character growth. He starts to treat the, the, his priest sidekick as more of a equal and like a team member. Because he was willing to like put up with his abuse and like torture and stuff like right. that, right? Like and, he's and like he found like a the priest like found a bloodlust and like tapped into that like violence, and so yeah. he's like, "Hey, you're all right, buddy. Let's joke around." Yeah, 
It's like, yeah, it's not just his character's uh, nasty. His presence in the movie is nasty. Yeah. And this is like, I genuinely think that like, because, you know, he's saying he's getting into it and he's adulating all these lines. This is the character who James Woods wishes he was in real life. This is like how he views himself. Yeah. And really, the real James Woods is his character from uh, Casino, just like a, like a little sniveling wiener who whines and is mad all the time because he's not getting his way. And he's so good in Casino. Like he's that's like he's so good in that yeah. movie. Uh, it's like you couldn't have cast that role better, you know. Uh, but that's I think that's the what's what's going on here. And I'll say, like, I don't think I don't think it's as overall. I don't think it's as bad as you think it like it is in terms of just like this character is completely terrible or James Woods completely terrible in this movie. But in those moments that we've talked about, it's really just kind of like ah, this is kind of bringing the movie down. You know? Yeah, he really runs it, runs it into the ground by the end. And so when yeah. the inevitable victory comes, it's like all right, well that's fine. And actually. Uh, Actually, I will say, to Daniel Baldwin's credit, he actually gets a little bit more of an interesting, like, he's not a very good actor, but he gets yeah. a little bit more to work with, uh, even though it's not, you know, stellarly written. But by the end, he gets to have, like, a cool sort of a moment to, like, really, like, like a high point for his performance, you know, yeah. where he's been he's been bitten and is going to turn into a vampire and he knows it's the end, and he just wants a little bit more time before Jack hunts him down and kills him. Well, they're yeah, they're actually his character actually does have a character arc. Yeah, even if there's like some shortcuts in there where yeah. it's just kind of like you jump from spot to spot. And you're like, wait a minute. Well, like, yeah. When whole... exactly did you fall in love with this uh, prostitute that you you know picked up at the motel? Uh, because yeah, who's turning? Who's turning into a vampire? A vampire. Yeah. yeah, it like it goes from him having utter disdain for her to being like them being like in love. Yeah, you know, uh, like there are definitely some, 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 some yeah shortcuts in there, but there is still a character arc, you know. Well, and he also sort of emotes on different levels uh, in his relationship with Jack, right? Yeah. Like they have a contentious relationship, like a competitive relationship. But then they also, you know, through his performance, you see that Jack has taught him a lot. And he has, like, a, a some respect for Jack and, and what he's learned and all that right. stuff. And then they come into conflict. And then they've got to sort of save each other and rescue each other. And then by the end, like, he's very emotional. He's like, he knows that this is it. This is the end of the road for him and for them. And it's hard. And he, he breaks down and he cries and... It's great. I don't know. It's pretty solid. I was very impressed. I was like, hey, yeah. Daniel Baldwin, uh, you've had an unremarkable career, but uh, this is kind of nice. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely serviceable in the type of movie this is. And, you know, and it sounds like, you know, I think this is a thing that we, you know, happens to us a lot. Like, sometimes it sounds like we're getting down on these movies. And to a certain degree, we are. But we're, we still love these. We still love them. And, like, what really works for me in this movie is you once said about this movie that this is the sleaziest movie ever made. <laughs> now, I don't think that's true by a mile, but it's it pretty is pretty grimy. It's pretty grimy. It's pretty sleazy. If this movie had come out in, say, the 1970s instead of the 1990s, this would be an all-time drive-in classic. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it'd be like, oh, yeah, it would have been like a huge drive-in hit. Like, people would talk about it. 
the way they talk about movies like Last House on the Left, which this movie is miles better than Last House on the Left. If or you even ask me. like uh, Blood Sucking Freaks. Who yeah, did, who you did know. that? Oh, uh, was that uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis or something? Yeah, it would have been like yeah. mentioned in that same sort of ilk. Yeah, I mean, that was just, that's obviously the other end of the spectrum of that, of just like literally like super low budget, bottom of the barrel, uh, you know, drive in stuff. But yes, I mean, it would definitely like if you had a book about seventies drive-in, like they, they these movies would be side by side, yeah, you know, in dis, in discussion. Um, and yeah, think about like you you have this movie yeah in the seventies with Joe Don Baker, and uh, you know, uh, in the in in the in the in one of the lead roles in this, like yep, that, that you can just see that translating instantly, you know. Yeah, it's like the antithesis of like the hip, like like a fright night. Right where it was right. like kind of hip and self-referential, and all the characters are like, well, well, "Wait, vampires are real!" Like this is like the 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 opposite uh, effect where you know a character will say, "Yeah, vampires are real," and they'll grab a severed head and you know rub it in your face. Well, I also like too how this movie just kind of like gets immediately into it. You know, there's no there's no like build up of like a character who doesn't believe in vampires moves into town and starts discovering vampires. Like within the first few seconds, we know that these people are say, you don't have, you don't know what this movie is, right? You just turn it on. You miss the opening part that says John Carpenter's vampires. And you just see that opening scene of James Woods and uh, Daniel Baldwin, like looking at that shack in the middle of the desert, like trying to figure out what's going on there. And you see these dudes like, strapping up with these armor and putting chain mail around their necks and getting crossbows and spears. Like, you know, something's up. That's not normal. And then within seconds, you know, it's vampires, right? That, that's actually it's... how I first saw the movie. The first oh, really? time I saw it, they were already in the house. And I was like, what but the did fuck you have... is this? You did not. And you did not have an awareness of the movie. No, I think I did. Yeah. But like you didn't put, put the but I'd never seen it before and I didn't immediately know what it was. I mean, I remember very vividly the trailer for this movie. Oh yeah, which for I, sure. Which I did not. I did not see the movie till like probably like I don't know, ten years later, after it came out. Maybe I maybe not that long, but it was a good clip after it came out. Uh, but I just very vividly remember like the scenes of, uh, you know, the the Valak saying to James Woods like, "Give me the cross," and he's holding yeah. up like that yeah, that cartoony cross. He was like, "Oh, what, what what cross? This cross?" You know, I remember that. I remember him walking away from the motel and it blowing up and stuff. And yeah, it it felt like uh, to me, it felt like it had uh, like Robert Rodriguez vibes. Like I get the same feeling out of the, from dust till dawn trailer. Right. Oh yeah. And I was like, what? 98, I was 15. Yeah. 15, I think in 98 and 16. I don't know. Depending Depending on what time of year it was. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking this movie looked so cool. Oh yeah, this this was a time when I was like, from *Dust Till Dawn*, John Carpenter's *Vampires*, and *Bordello of Blood*. Mm-hmm. I was like, these movies will not get cooler than this. This is yeah. it. But yeah, I didn't end up seeing it till way later. But for whatever reason, and but yeah, and when it came out, I was like, this is this is this is what I want, you know. Uh, and I it 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 delivers on that trailer i think quite a bit it's not as good as from dust till dawn you know in some ways though it you could say some aspects of it are are better you know uh but it, it definitely does not deliver i i sort of wish 
like you talk about the second half. I wish it was we spent a little bit more time with the vampire hunters initially, yeah. like going on like maybe like one one sort of quick and easy job, and then they run across the uh, the master, and and that that plot starts to unfold. I get why we jump right to it, but I kind of wish that there was a little bit more with their process and like what they do. Well, and then because then the rest of the movie is just them. It's the you know the rest of the team is dead, and then it's Jack and uh, whatever Daniel Baldwin's character is Montoya. Uh, you know, dragging this girl around who's half infected, uh, and you know, seeing visions. Uh, Which that's a that's a pretty cool thing where they kind of use her as a like a radio to like. Oh yeah, track, it is actually you know, it's the only device. way that they can sort of stay on his trail. Um, and I like the, you know, kind of how things unfold later with the ceremony and mm-hmm. all that, that they've got to stop. But I think you're right, though, about like if they had gone like they'd done this quickie mission and then had a second mission because, you know, what happens like the 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 the, the priest, the initial priest who's like kind of like their like liaison to the church. Is saying like we got another job for you or something. He goes like, no, no, we're also, tomorrow's my day off or like he's like not anymore, blah 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 or something, and then they all get killed, and then obviously you find out later that the cardinal you know is uh, in cahoots with Valak, and there, it was an inside job and all this stuff. But what? But James Woods immediately suspects that you know that it's an inside job. It's such an Oliver Stone concept. Like, okay, uh, what if uh, Dracula was an inside job, okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> but it would work better if, instead of him just assuming that it was an inside job, they went to this other, they went on this other mission that they weren't supposed to go on, right? And everything starts going haywire instead of right, and they all end up dead, except for Woods and Baldwin, and then, and then it's like, oh, it was an inside job. Yeah. Right? I mean, honestly, that's exactly what happens in uh, the first t- Mission Impossible movie. We see this little tiny mission, then they go on another mission that's supposed to be easy, and then like, everything starts going wrong. Yeah, and that first and then, mission like really shows off, like, oh, these are the best agents in the world. Right. Like, they're completely it's- capable of doing anything, and for someone to get the jump on them is a big deal. Right. It's like kind of like... Without having like any build up about them, like we haven't heard any people talking about like these legendary vampire hunters or anything like that. Uh, like James Woods comes across very professional and like in command, mm-hmm. but like I said, like our first glimpse of them is everyone like scared and jittery and like doing sloppy work, and so it's like, yeah. oh, you guys are the best. That's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. You could say that maybe that like kind of like setup is a little cliche, but I would just say. It, more along the lines it just kind of works yeah it's fundamentally you know? sound <laughs> it's just like it's a class it's a classic for a reason you know you want to talk about the look of the vampires yeah what do you think of the way these uh vampires look depends the the uh the just the regular vampires that they refer to as goons which i enjoy that they call them goons i think is is pretty solid you know for particularly for a lower budget film where it's just like really long fangs, not a lot of their makeup, but just kind of like dirty and grimy and occasionally covered with blood. Um, Valak himself is pretty lame. 
and not terrible, but just kind of like, hmm, okay. He's just got a black trench coat on, long hair, and I don't really like the really the really poorly drawn in veins on his forehead and stuff. But I don't think it's terrible. It doesn't. It's not really a a ruiner for me by any means. Yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, I think for for some movies the super simple vampire, which is sort of like the bloodshot eyes and maybe some contact lenses and then fangs. Uh, I think that works. I think yeah. it works really. I think it works really well here because it's not focused on, like, it's supposed to be a very like grounded in reality type right. thing, and you know, to have them like sort of transform. Like the Lost Boys look is awesome. All those different vampires have personality, but like, I think doing the bare minimum here, they still look super solid. Well, he also says that thing, like you know, James Woods. In does have that one scene, which I think starts out pretty good until uh, he starts going off into like his more of his like, you know, crazy rants where he's just talking about like forget everything you know about vampires, you know. I love that stupid exposition. I do too. I love when they explain the rules. Like yeah. rule number fifteen: never look a vampire in the eye. Yeah, but he's <laughs> all like he's like. He's like crosses don't work, you know. They don't turn into bats. Yeah, you know, garlic doesn't work. Work. It's it's after he says the garlic line is when like it starts to go downhill because oh, he starts calling, he starts you know calling the vampires you know homophobic slurs and says they'll they'll fuck the garlic right up your ass or something. It's uh, and that's the one of the perfect examples of like when they're doing something cool and then he just like sends it fucking off the rails. Right, and it's like, bro, like just. Let's stay focused here. <laughs> Everything was fine. God, um, but then it kind of, the scene kind of comes back because then he starts saying, like, he gets, has him get out the map and he's like, you see that pattern? It's an, you, if you plug in all the distances between this, you get a mathematical algorithm that creates this perfect spiral pra- pattern leading out from blah, blah, blah to blah, blah, blah. They're doing like a systematic search for the past 200 years looking for something. Yeah. I was like, that's cool too. But yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely. Overall, Look at the vampire works, particularly based on the tone they set up of just like these aren't like the like bat shaped monsters you've heard about. These are just like some skeezy, scary dudes. You no, know, it's who live far in the dark. less supernatural. And they, yeah. they, there's isn't like sort of a big existential kind of spiritual theme to the movie. It it really is like it's a conspiracy and it's a curse that's almost like a disease. There's nothing sort of fantastical yeah. about it, like, well, the the devil has claimed their souls and this and that. It's like, no. You know, I would love to see, see, like, I'm not going to do it because I don't believe it's actually true, but I made that crack at the beginning of saying, like, saying, like, this, this is a movie that proves that the biggest uh, conspiracy of the Catholic Church has ever pulled is the cover-up of vampires, not pedophiles. But I'd love to see, like, somebody who, was, like, took it seriously and, like, made an analysis saying that this was a metaphor for that. Oh. You know? Like if they if they could justify that argument, I would watch I would watch twenty minutes, thirty minutes, forty minutes of that YouTube video with someone breaking down how this is an allegory for uh, the the Catholic Church covering up pedophiles. Between the exposition provided and uh, James Woods sort of like word vomit, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of stuff you could clip out and make a very strong case. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't think that was the intent, but you could do no. it and that would be would be so fun. 
I like the black blood. I gotta tell you, pal, nothing is ever gonna look cooler in a horror movie than black blood. I don't care if it's coming out of their mouths or their ears or their eyeballs or their belly buttons. Black blood is such a cool look. It was cool in the 90s, and it's cool today. And it's funny because it's one of those things that often gets done to, like, maintain a, uh, like a lower rating. Like, if blood doesn't per red, you can, you, it can sometimes prevent you from getting an R or an NC-17 yeah. rating. But it looks so much more horrifying and gross. Yeah, there's something wrong about it. Like in, like, the Lord of the Rings movies, which those are pretty violent for PG-13. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, and they're like, but like the scenes where like they stab an orc in the mouth and it just starts, or in the gut and it just starts coughing up black blood. It's like, that's way grosser and creepy and disturbing than if it had just been red blood. Yeah. So, or, or even a movie as recent as like Stakeland, right? Mm-hmm. Like black blood is very prominent. Yeah, because it looks diseased. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's like, it's not only is he like coughing up blood, it's like the, the, that, there's something wrong with that blood. Yeah. Like don't even look at it cuz it's going to it's going to give you a horrible horrible illness. And they 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 mention like the bad breath like is one of the dead giveaways of the vampires in this movie. Mhm. I think that's pretty funny. Mhm. But that black blood helps sell it too. Like it's like, "Oh god, there's there's something rotten leaking out of these vampires." <laughs> <laughs> and now the head vampire, the master vampire Valak is played by none other than Thomas Ian Griffith, a.k.a. Terry Silver from Karate Kid Part 3. Right, yeah. And also uh, the Cobra Kai television show. You young kids might know him from that. Which, uh, what do you think of the the, the portrait of him from the 1300s or whatever? You remember that part? Oh, yeah. Where, like, it, it, it... it looks like a a page like ripped out of a magazine from a Tiger Beat glamour shot. And yeah. like we've authenticated this. It's from thirteen fifty. <laughs> it's a painting. It's like a, a Valak before he became a vampire and he was still a Catholic priest. That part makes me chuckle really hard. Yeah, that's great. The climax is a little weak. Yeah. I do like that we have our main character in danger. You know, they've got, for the ceremony, they've got him, like, you know, he's up uh, tied to the cross. And then the priest shows up and kind of realizing his ultimate potential, uh, which is cool. And you got Daniel Baldwin sort of fighting off his vampirism Mm -hmm. in order to, uh, you know, make one last kind of suicide mission. Well, you know, it's also kind of funny that like the the final showdown isn't a little bit better because, yeah, there's a, it's a low budget and whatnot, and like so you can't have maybe have the world's biggest action scenes here and there, but this movie kind of does set up that like, oh, a lot of what they do is is setting traps, right? Yeah, set traps. You have these, or yeah, you, you know, like you lure them, you lure the vampire out, you snag him, and you, then you set him, you put him in the trap, you know, et cetera, right? Which is a really like easy low budget way to make an action scene exciting yeah because if we because if we understand how the trap is supposed to work before it happens then we're waiting then you build suspense about the trap working and if something goes wrong you have to you have to adapt and you can do, do all these things without it being like this big elaborate like car chase or sword fight or whatever you know 
It's like it's it's a very simple way to make an action scene scene seem bigger than it is. And since they've already kind of established that that's a thing that, that happens in this movie, it would have made more sense for them to have a more of an elaborate plot specifically, you know, which I guess they do have a plot for the master, but it kind of goes wrong. And then it's like, okay, well, how do you adapt that, you know, that, that plan and, uh, so it's, and, and, and solve it and still have it be a trap where it's like, you have the satisfaction of ultimately the trap working, you know? I mean, like, I mean, this isn't the best example because it is a big action scene at the end of Predator. But ultimately, what does in the Predator is just a log hitting him, and it's satisfying because the trap worked. Well, that's funny you say that because what does in uh, Valak, the master vampire, is James Woods hitting a log. Yeah, but it's, it's not part <laughs> of a plan. It's not him, like, luring no, him into this spot. He's just kind of standing. He's like, he's like, oh, if I bump into this beam the roof will cave in and light and sun will come in, but that's never like, it's not pre-planned. It's just kind of like serendipitous that that's there. And he's like, he can take advantage of it. No. And he's not a character that is like clever enough that, uh, you get an exciting cat and mouse game. It's literally, he's like, I'm going to run as fast as I can at this guy holding this giant cross. And I hope I stick it through his heart. Yeah. Which that's kind of fun too. I do like I mean, the part where uh, uh, Daniel Baldwin drives by in the jeep, and you think maybe he's gonna kill Jack, but mm-hmm. instead he shoots the crossbow into the cross and yanks it down. Yeah, that's I like that too. And there's a there's like a dummy attached to the cross, and mm-hmm. its head like bounces up and down. <laughs> yes. And also, well, you you know, the it becomes immediately obvious that if a person was on this cross and it got yanked down and dragged away by a jeep, it would shatter every bone in your body. Oh yeah, you're not you're not feeling good after that. No, he and but he just gets gets right up and is yeah. like, okay, we're well, uh, kill some. And I mean that okay, and that right there hits the nail on the head, right? We're talking about all these. You mentioned all these things and like that don't work. What could have been better? And those are the things that are keeping this movie from being like at the top of like great, John Carpenter. Like truly yeah, great. Yeah. Truly great at the top of John Carpenter's filmography. Um, who I would say like pound for pound is probably my favorite director, you know, just in terms of when he's delivered, he's delivered really hard. And even his like lesser movies or bad movies are kind of still fun to watch. Yeah. You know, like, like there's a it's not he hasn't necessarily made all of my favorite movies ever but if i look at a film a director's filmography i'm like i like that one i like that one i like that one this one's still fun even though it's stupid this one's fun this is great you know uh yeah just pound for pound he's he's up there so yeah what the things we're talking about were what keep it from being like one of his best but at the end of the day this is just a really fun schlocky b movie that's a, above average for that, you know, realm. And the things, like you said, of, like, the the dummy head bouncing up and down and, like, the fact that it would have broken everybody bone in his body, but he's completely fine. These are the things that actually make the movie good, you know, and make it such a, a hoot to watch. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably the best way to put it. It's a real hoot. Yeah. And it's a, a product of its time, and it's a fascinating 
just example of a, a, a specific era in vampire movies that uh, could be coming back. Right, we're yeah, we're yeah. in a very silly time for vampires, right? With movies like Renfield and Day Shift and Vampires versus the Bronx, uh, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And so, there's a good chance that movies like this are on the way back. I'd welcome it. Um, one thing before we wrap this up that I do want to just point out because it was just like a huh thing was I was looking at. The credits for this movie and this and the screenplay was written by uh, Don Jacoby, who co-wrote the screenplay of Life Force, the vampire movie we did last time. The complete coincidence. I didn't know that going in. Um, but it is based on a book. Same way Life Force is based on a book with a goofy title, which is <laughs> Space Vampires. This is also based on a book with a goofy title. And what's the title now, of that The title book? is Vampires. But the S is a dollar sign. Yeah. And I have so many questions. I really want to read this book. I have so many questions because what does that have to do with what we watch in this movie? Like, at no point are the vampires trying to, like, pull off a bank heist. I guess they're pulling off a heist of sorts and stealing the cross, but that's not a monetary heist. Money is in no way a factor of this other than you could extrapolate that you know they talk about the the vampires talk about their you know their paychecks you know coming through um but that's just true of any job right yeah it's like uh, it's like what is that dollar sign about well in the why is it... in the book the vampire slaying organization is called vampires inc so it's more of a business or whatever yeah, I wonder how much of it's changed. If it's like if, if it's more like yeah, there are a bunch of businessmen who ca- caught up in this vampire scam. It's still stupid. It's still stupid to put a dollar sign for the S on your book title, even if it's even if it's that they have an office manager. It's a legitimate biz. What if killing vampires was big business? So it's like it's Ghostbusters. One of these high concept ideas you wouldn't understand. The, the, S, the S's and Ghostbusters aren't dollar signs. Come on. Actually, they could have. Uh, they actually could have done that, and it would have worked. worked. Yeah. It would have worked in that context. Yes, I still wouldn't support it, but it would have worked all right. Anyway, that was just something I found quite baffling. I'm gonna have to do some like research into like the plot differences between the the book and the movie because I I just discovered that shortly before we actually started recording you know what the best thing in this movie is out mm. of all the the goofy stuff we've talked about it's the way the vampires die oh yeah how do we not talk about that you will not see vampires die like this in any other movie and i don't know how they did it i watched a special effects behind the scenes segment and even john carpenter couldn't explain how they did it like he was like the effects guys rigged something up and they showed it to me and i was like yes that's it that's how i want my vampires to die yeah they burst in the flames but they don't just burst in the flames no it's the like f- the fire like sprays out yeah it's like it's like if there was you know like in those uh I, I, there's like st- stuff in horror movies where like a monster gets shot up with bullets and rays of light come out of them or something it's something akin to that but it's 
fire just like bursting out of like holes, like a little mini volcanoes. And these flamethrower jets come out of them when they get pulled into the light. And it's really cool. And then before they ultimately just explode. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's something that you hadn't seen it quite like that before. And frankly, I don't think we've seen it like that since. Usually it's just like this full on, less like, oh, vampire starts bubbling up and then just blows up. You know, if, if you're having the vampire explodes in light uh, scenario. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. There we go. <laughs> well, all right. I guess I don't know. You have anything else for uh, John Carpenter's vampires, or that pretty much sums it up for you? Uh, I give it three fangs where out would you, of five. Where would you put this in Carpenter's lesser movies? Um, I would say this is not as good as Prince of Darkness, but better than Village of the Damned. Would you think it's better than Ghosts of Mars? You know, that's a tough one. I have kind of a soft spot for Ghosts of Mars, uh, especially because yeah. it's in space and then there's weird drugs involved. But I'm, I do too. But I, I, I think this is ultimately a better movie. I also have a soft spot for a uh, Village of the Damned, but this is, but this is a better movie overall. I would rather watch uh, if I've got to sit through a movie. I would rather watch Ice Cube than James Woods. And if I could get Ice Cube in this movie instead, I uh, it would be like a ten out of ten. There we go. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say uh, Ghosts of Mars just edges it out, but uh, I don't know. Give it a watch and find out for yourself. I agreed. Yeah. So that sums up John Carpenter's Vampires. We're gonna be coming back uh, with another. Do you want to go straight into we, last episode? We talked about how we were gonna segue from vampires and vampire bats into the Batman. Do you want to go straight into that, or do you have another vampire movie you want to do before before we tackle that? I mean, I'm going to keep watching vampires in movies. Do I want to talk about another vampire movie? I don't know. Based on that, I'm going to say we're probably going to talk about the Batman in the next. We'll let the uh, Catholic Church decide. Yeah, we'll let them them choose. They are the ones who fund the show and keep us going. And they and they and they want well they have a lot they want to cover up the vampire stuff so they probably don't want us talking about vampires again, so we'll probably talk about the Batman huge monster hit, a little different from what we do on the show but yeah mostly because you want to and I want to make you happy you know I don't want you Aww. to thanks Keith this show is uh, a lot of work and I don't want you to have to come to work and be like oh geez I don't want to talk about more vampire movies exactly. All right, then. So, yeah, we're going to take off for now, but we'll see you soon. And, Keith, what do you always say? Rule number five, if you find the nest, you find the master. And until next time, the dumpster is closed. Goodbye, everybody. Show's over. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing. <laughs>